Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. So the center of the United States hockey universe is Edina, Minnesota, according to our in-depth, tier-like coverage this week as we ranked different hockey hotbeds, crunched the numbers, got it down to Minnesota being the center of the U.S. hockey universe, and Edina, Minnesota being the center of the center of the U.S. hockey universe, thus opening up to the world the raging debate that occurs in Minnesota each day about how Edina is a bunch of, quote, rich cake eaters, and uh, they don't deserve this accolade because it will just make them more egotistic. This is what I've discovered this week in doing this project. Well, I was going to ask you if you were more surprised that Edina came up number one on your list or that it was pronounced Edina, not Adina. I thought it was Adina forever. <clears throat> I think I've actually met women named Adina that it was spelled that way. Um, very old women, by the way. Adina, not necessarily in the zeitgeist. It's not, you know, you, f- you find a lot more Madisons in uh, middle school today than you do Adinas. Um, Making but, a comeback. Know, yeah, <laughs> we should bring it back. Um, yeah, I was I was surprised by that and also um, unsurprised that uh, one of the wealthier communities in Minnesota may also be one of the most active in the sport of hockey. Uh, it, it's still a very expensive sport to play. But I'll say this, the education... That I, that I got in doing this project. I give full marks to places like, um, Nashville and Anaheim that made our list, mm-hmm. Vegas that made our list for like the growing hotbeds. Didn't have room to put Tampa on there, but they deserve a shout out. And, uh, the top five, like, centers of the hockey universe are only five. So it, we left out, uh, places like Pittsburgh, um, that is certainly established. Dallas is a, is a burgeoning hotbed. The, the point of the thing and the point of this whole week of, of, uh, hockey in America coverage that we're doing on ESPN. And if you haven't seen it, do check it out on ESPN.com. Sports really strong in the States right now, man. Like there are only five U.S. markets, um, according to the numbers provided by USA Hockey, where the part, the total participation numbers, youth plus adult plus officials plus refs has dropped in the last three years. Everywhere else, it's 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 above um, average and it's it's surging in a lot of places. So it was kind of heartening to see how much the sport's grown. Yeah, my big takeaway was we hear that girls hockey is one of the fastest sport growing sports in America, but to see a lot of the places where even if it hasn't grown overall, the women's hockey programs are booming and they're multiplying like crazy and that is huge growth. So that's exciting for me in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's all good stuff. It's all good news. Um, well, except for, you know, Buffalo and Detroit, but you know, that probably has more to do with the fortunes of their NHL teams than it does anything else as far as the community goes. Uh, there is a certain correlation between success on the ice and success uh, around the community when it comes to hockey. Uh, just ask Washington about that. And also, Washington's another good example of not only do you have to have an exciting product that brings more fans to the game, but it'd be helping the community if you built a few more rinks. The minute that the Capitals put a, a rink on top of a, a parking garage at a mall in Arlington, Virginia, a few, about 15 years ago, um, was the moment when hockey started to really explode in that region. You had a new place to play. And so you, you look around at Anaheim, you look around at Nashville, you look around at, at Vegas, you look around at Seattle. Seattle's like putting in three week. sheets of ice. Yeah, and and the having a place to play is as important as having the desire to play. What was your takeaway from that Seattle piece? Yeah, um, you know, I knew for some time that it was a bustling scene. You know, we knew that the interest was there from how quickly they, you know, drew up season ticket interest. 
Um, but there just hasn't been enough ice. USA Hockey says there's at least five confirmed sheets of ice coming in the next couple of years, and it could rise to six or seven, and that would be huge. Um, and yeah, and just Seattle, you know, the way they're doing things is a little bit differently. And, you know, we know so many different franchises are tackling hockey is for everyone, but they really are making sure diversity and accessibility are in the forefront of everything they do. So that to me is pretty neat. Mm. Sounds like hockey in Seattle is really cracking these days. Kraken. Kraken, hey. get it? Because Kraken? Yeah, Coming up it. on ESPN and Ice this it's week. It's been got. <laughs> Coming up on ESPN and Ice this week. Uh, something different. Uh, no guests. Well, kind of guests. Several guests. You, the listeners. We asked you to submit some trade deadline worries, concerns, proposals, what have you. We're going to play a few of those calls on the show today. A special NHL trade deadline pre-edition. Post-edition, of course, will be done with me and Emily when we're in Bristol. Uh, on ESPN and Ice Plus, all your favorites, Phil Castle loves hot dogs, Buck Headlines, and the like. All and that and more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's, PS- ES- it's ESPN and Ice. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> ESPN talks about hockey. Attempts to talk about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And I'm really excited for today's episode, Greg, because Ryan Matlack, our tireless producer, has been calling these calls. And he says a bunch of you called in, and we have no idea what you said. So we're going into this totally cold. So I feel like we just got to start. Flying blind. Exactly. Um, we did one call-in show when both of us were in Bristol once. It was glorious. Um, I'd say 75% of the calls weren't our friends, which was good. Mm, uh, 66. <laughs> All right. Shout out Mario Lemieux. Um, but this time, yeah, we put it out there on the, on the Twitters. And uh, we uh, thank you for participating in our reindeer games. Uh, hopefully one day we could do a full on live show again because that was a lot of fun. But anyways, for the trade deadline, ladies and gentlemen, let's begin with our first caller. Hi, Emily and Greg. Uh, longtime listener, first time caller, uh, followed up on those trade deadline questions. So uh, my question is, I'm a New York Rangers fan watching a lot of folks in my fandom try and rationalize a potential uh, Chris Kreider trade and then re-sign in the off-season type deal, which I feel like is probably not going to happen for a lot of reasons. So my question is just how realistic is it to think that uh, any team would trade or uh, to think that a team would trade for any player and then re-sign them in the off-season? Or is this just another fantasy that sad hockey fans like to indulge in to feel better about their team being bad? Uh, can't wait to hear your response. Thanks. Well, you're right. It's definitely aspirational to want to have your cake in a Dyna, Minnesota and eat it too in a Dyna, Minnesota. Uh, and that's what the Rangers would be asking for if they traded Chris Kreider. And let's be honest, he's been the number one guy on everybody's list. When we see some of the prices that we've seen in these trades so far, we know he can compare uh, you know, command more than just a first round pick, probably a first round pick and a top prospect first round pick and, um, you know, a second round pick or a third round pick. 
Um, you know, there's some situations where I'd say, mm, I'm not sure that's going to work. And if he leaves, he's out the door. He's not coming back. Um, one of those examples I think of is Robin Lehner in Chicago. Um, he wants to stay in Chicago. And I feel like if Chicago gets rid of him at the deadline, that kind of opens it up for him. Like, hey, this summer, I'm going to see who treats me the best, who's going to give me the most term, who's going to value me most as the number one goaltender. Chris Kreider, on the other hand, I'm not quite sure where his thinking is. I know he is really comfortable in the New York area. He trains in Connecticut in his offseason. He's been a New York Ranger for a long period of time. You know, his agent is currently negotiating with the Rangers. And depending on how that those talks go, maybe this is something that they open up. Like, hey, if it doesn't work out with this deal, let's see where it goes and we'll leave it open. But it's never a guarantee. Yeah, and I think the prevailing wisdom around the league right now um, is that there is a, an opportunity that he's going to stay, um, whether it's, like Emily said, through returning to the team afterward or, or what have you. Because the more you look at where the Rangers are in their maturation as a contender, and the, the more you look at what the Rangers have as far as the youth and the, and the organization, the more you think to yourself, five more years of Chris Kreider is pretty much what this team could use. Like, the, the, Chris Kreider's don't grow on trees. The, the ability to do what he does on the ice, the power forward game that he brings, going to the net, scoring dirty goals, that whole thing. Like, that's a, an attribute that a young team could certainly use. And it's not like Kreider is not going to be in his prime for the next few years. So it really comes down to, I think, contract length is the issue. I don't think the Rangers want to give him eight years. And I don't think they necessarily want to give him seven years. I think they prefer to give him five years. But if you're Chris Kreider, you're like, I've been waiting for this opportunity all my life. I'm going to get as many years as I can. And more power to him. It's it's his right to do so. It just might not necessarily be in New York. That's the issue. But for where the Rangers are as a team, and quite frankly, as a Devils fan, I'm a little jealous. Uh, I think that uh, Chris Kreider is, is something that they should actually hang on to, even though, as we've seen in this market already, Emily, the price tag on Chris Kreider would be substantial at this deadline. It sure would. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is there was two contenders that uh, – three contenders that I really thought were in on him. Uh, the Blues, the Bruins, and the Avalanche. The Blues, I think, are out now. The reports are getting from Vlad Tarasenko make it seem like he's going to come back at the end of the season. And I think just replacing Boomeister was their trade. The Avs are desperate right now. They've got a lot of injuries. And I could see them really um, upping the price to get them. And then there's the Bruins, which are just kind of a wild card. We never really know what uh, Sweeney's going to do. Yeah, exactly. And and if we know anything about the Bruins, it's it's kind of like this: it's like the uh, Capitals are constantly adding uh, defensemen at the trade deadline, and the Bruins are constantly adding uh, forwards at the trade deadline. Let <laughs> let that be known. That's just sort of their mo. All right, who we got next, Ryan? Hello, Greg and Emily. It's your favorite West Coast Ducks fan, the guy <laughs> who made his own homemade chili last year just because I can't watch Ducks hockey anymore. And my well, we remember is, you. Why do people look at the Ducks this year and see a sleeper team at the deadline? Do you really think that Bob Murray would actually move Andre Tasha or Josh Manson? And if he did, what does the return look like for those guys? Let me know what you think. Is it a hockey move? Is it a futures move? Is there any reason to continue to be a Ducks fan, or should I abandon everything that I believe in? I look forward to hearing what you think. I look forward to eating more of my own homemade chili once I have time to make it. And I look forward to hearing this on the podcast. Bye. Bye. Um, I find it interesting that uh, Josh Manson, for whatever reason, is the guy that people want to send SEAL Team 6 in to rescue from the Ducks. 
He's 28. He's got a modified no trade. He makes $4.1 million a season through 2022. Oh, yeah, and his value is at basement bargain levels right now because he's not had a good season. It's it's a weird team. There's things that if you were looking to kind of vulture pick away from the carcass, there are a number of guys that you might be interested in, but I don't know how many of them are actually going to move uh, other than uh, little little pieces here and there off this roster, of course, the other two Emily that you, you know are kind of fascinating is if Ryan Miller ever wanted to leave the the uh, you know Orange County uh, at the deadline could help somebody, and then you know the minute Ryan Getzloff says, "All right, I'm ready to chase a cup again somewhere else," then I think people would definitely be in the Ryan Getzloff business. For sure, but we haven't heard any peeps on either of those fronts, so I'd be shocked if either of those happen. And just another name I'd keep an eye on, Derek Grant. Um, he's, you know, veterans minimum $700,000. He's an expiring contract. He's a, you know, he's a versatile guy that I could see some team throwing a fourth round pick for. So he might be a guy that I see ends at the deadline. Yeah. And they, and the, the helps on the way. Ducks don't necessarily have the pool that the LA Kings have as far as prospects. Uh, the much renowned prospect pool that they have that's only gotten, it's gotten deeper thanks to the Toffoli trade, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, but eighth overall in the Chris Peters pipeline rankings earlier this season, Trevor Zagris, mm-hmm. a, a grade A prospect for them. Um, so it, the future is, is, is brighter than, than it is for most. It's decent. Decent. <laughs> decently bright. And it should be while you're in California and, and especially in SoCal. Not so much here in the Bay Area where depending on where you drive in 20 minutes, you can go from being a 90 degree day to a 60 degree day in the middle of a fog bank. Yes, I thought that was a metaphor for the shark season, but he was. (laughs) All right, let's get the next call. (laughs) All right, Ryan, who's next? Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. This is Pete Linsky calling from Lansing, Michigan. It might not be the most popular opinion, but I think it's time for the Red Wings to trade away Tyler Bertuzzi. What do you think? Wow. I think that's unpopular indeed. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would feel that sort of part of the solution type deal. Look, um, so Bertuzzi is an RFA this summer. He makes 1.4 million. Um, the thing about Steve Eiserman that's fascinating is that he is someone who has taken over a team that clearly is a team that is rebuilding and transition, but has shown in the past in his time with the Tampa Bay Lightning that he's not afraid to flip a good young player for other kinds of help. I mean, the, the, one of the most important trades that he made during his tenure in Tampa was the uh, Corey Conacher for Ben Bishop trade where, you know, Conacher was having a, uh, a potential Calder trophy season with the Lightning and then he traded him for this guy, Ben Bishop, who at the time was not Ben Bishop and uh, ended up being one of the bigger trades that they made. So he's, he's shown boldness in, in moving younger pieces. And obviously when it comes to the younger pieces on the uh, Red Wings, they're not anybody he had a hand really in drafting. So the idea that a Mantha or a Bertuzzi uh, could be moved isn't out of the question. But I mean, 24-year-old putting up 40 points and playing the kind of style that Bertuzzi plays, you, you figure that'd be the kind of thing you want to keep around. Yeah, when I look at this roster, I think there's three untouchables, in my opinion. Dylan Larkin, obviously, not going anywhere. Anthony Mantha, I don't think, should go anywhere. And I think Bertuzzi would be my number three. What was that? And Mike Green. (laughs) And Mike Green is not going anywhere because nobody wants to even buy him. Uh, Look, uh, when I look at Bertuzzi, and I think of when I went to Detroit Red Wings training camp in September, and 
uh, maybe it was late September, early October, and they were playing this aggressive. I'd never seen a, a training camp with that much energy and physicality, and they were really getting after it. And this was Steve Eiserman and the players really trying to set the tone of what type of team they want to have in the future. Tyler Bertuzzi's play fits exactly into that identity. He's a high-energy player. He's got grit. He also has hands. I don't think this is the type of player they're trying to turn around. That said, because he is under team control um, and is 24, if someone wants to throw the book at Steve Eisenman, I think he is all open to any ideas right now because he knows his team needs an injection of talent, and he's been very careful about not assigning a timeline of when they can be competitive again because he knows it can be a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Red Wings are an interesting team, and I, but I think they're more interesting in the summer um, when they're going to start clearing away uh, salary through. Some they of have a ton UFAs. of cap space this summer, yeah, and, and and they also have a ton of RFA's too. And you wonder, you wonder how many of those guys, uh, like like Bertuzzi, in that situation, Eiserman might clear out, uh, and then you know, the recruitment process is going to be very interesting for Eiserman too. Like uh, they they. They're going to go young. They're going to be talented, but I also think that they they could be a team that could be in in the market dabbling for, you know, an offer sheet at some point if he wanted to dabble in those dark arts. Dabbling in so, the dark arts. Yeah, we'll see about that. Although the 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 listen, I was I was looking through the RFA list for this uh, summer, and uh, let me put it this way, Emily, we had a lot more fun last year than we are this summer. <laughs> That's for sure. The one thing the Red Wings do have is some decent draft capital. They've, uh, you know, all their first round picks in the next couple of years, two second rounders this year, two third rounders this year. So they do have some stuff to play with. Indeed. Uh, all right, Ryan, who's next? Hey guys, uh, Chicago Blackhawks fan here. I was curious as to what you think the Blackhawks should do at the trade deadline, especially involving goalies, given, uh, they're using about 11 million in goalie, uh, for goalies and cap space and Robin Lane is going to want uh, seven million this summer at least, and you still got to pay Corey Crawford as well. So I was wondering if you guys thought that they should make a move with goalies at the deadline, if if anything else. So thanks. All right. Well, Blackhawks first. The one thing that I'm pretty confident they should do and will do is move Eric Stoffson. Uh, they should have moved him this summer when his value was higher and they had a defensive logjam anyway. But uh, seeing the prices these defensemen are getting, that's a guy they should unload. As it pertains to the goalies, they have a really big decision to make this summer. Do you want to go with Robin Lanner, who is younger and arguably more talented than Corey Crawford right now, or do you stick with the devil you know and Corey Crawford and stay loyal to him? My inclination is that they want to go to Robin Lanner. It's just an issue of term. Robin Lanner feels like he's proven himself and he deserves that long-term contract, and are they really comfortable doing that? I know this is not answering any of your questions of what they should do right now. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier to the Rangers fan that I do think that it's one of those things of keeping Robin Lehner in the door, keeping him under your sight, and then keeping those negotiations going that you can be the first in line to sign him in the summer, and there's something to be said there. If a team like, let's say, Carolina wants to throw a first-round pick at a top prospect, Stan Bowman should listen. And, and you know, he knows that he has decent contingency plans on goalies. But um, I don't see them moving Corey Crawford just because of the way this organization does things. They're very loyal. Um, Corey Crawford has a no-movement clause. He would have to sign off on the trade. And I don't get the sense he wants to go anywhere. Um, my best guess is that they'd keep both guys, but then again, Stan Bowman surprised us all by signing Lehner at like the last couple minutes of, you know, the first day of free agency over the summer. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's, you know, last minute of the trade deadline. We, we see a deal for him, uh, to go to a team like Carolina, Colorado in division. That would be a really crazy trade. It would be, but I don't know. Like this is, this is complete projection, right? 
But don't you <laughs> think Lehner might complete projection, Greg? This is complete projection. This is this is psycho. This is this is almost gaslighting. Don't you think Lehner is the kind of guy who, if Stan Bowman said to him and said, "Look, I'm going to move you to Carolina because they're going to give me a first round pick for you." My team, my team needs all the first round picks we can get. Fly away a little birdie, but come back to Chicago and I'll do you right. I'll do you right with a, you know, a two year deal or something. Does Laner seem like the type that'd be okay with that? Cause I feel like he is. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Maybe. know either, but I just don't know. I don't, I, I just feel like, you know, like he got completely screwed by the Islanders. Stan Bowman yes. comes riding in, being like, "I'm gonna give you." Even though he stayed dollars. loyal to them with that neck tattoo, he has no ill will. Yeah, what is that? Maybe he's not that guy with that neck tattoo. Maybe yeah. you're right. I don't know. That's a bad tattoo. Like we haven't talked enough about how that's a horrible tattoo. Like Long Island, we we both know Long Island pretty well. Like that's not. Yeah, Jer- you know, I- Jersey. Lo- Jersey looks like a beautiful little little bean, and yeah. you know, Illinois the same way. And New York mm. is very identifiable. Like Long Island just looks like, looks like a child drew it. It's a weird tattoo. I am not one to judge the tattoos though. I have tattoos. I'm sure people judge mine. Art is subjective. Art is in behind his beholder. And he believes Long Island looks beautiful on his neck. And reminds me of I was going to say, like, place. I, I don't, I, first of all, no one should judge the tattoos. And secondly, um, you don't have Long Island on your neck. So. I don't. What's the best Pretty state flower. to get a tattoo of? Probably Texas, right? Like that's a real identifiable Ooh. shape. I've seen a lot of California tattoos. Yeah, that's pretty good too. A girl it would suck if you were from New Jersey on her foot. New Jersey. I would. I've thought about getting a New Jersey tattoo. Like because I've I thought about actually getting a New Jersey tattoo with like devil's horns on it at some point. But that would be very very on brand, Greg. That'd be very Jersey. I'll tell you this right now. Like if you are Hammond from, if you're, <laughs> if oh, you're God, from Colorado, sounded good. If you're from Colorado, how much would it suck to get like a tattoo? Because people would just look at it and be like, what is that Wyoming? Like all those states around that area look the same, don't they? <laughs> they do. But at least it's symmetrical. It is, right. It's, it's very true. It is a rectangle or uh, close yeah, to being a square in some cases. All right, Ryan, who's next? Hey, Emily and Greg. My name's Don. I'm from Canada and I have a trade deadline question. What's the deal with all these insiders? Like, <laughs> All these teams are at such an intense time at the trade deadline. They're trying to make moves. They're trying to talk to other 30 other GMs. And they've got Elliot Friedman or Darren Dreger texting them constantly, and they're all answering him. Like, why do they bother answering him? It doesn't make any sense. They could just text each other directly and cut out the middleman. I, I've always wondered this. You see them on the trade center shows, and they're, they're, they're typing away on their phone, and they always get all this information. It, I don't understand what the teams are getting out of it. That's it. Thanks so much. Have a great show. Well, all right. I got the answer for you. Please. It's an information currency exchange. Um, I always remember if there's somebody talking, uh, there's a reason they're talking and there's a reason they're talking to you. And usually everyone has an agenda and you always have to keep that in the back of your mind. So usually when you see information leak, it's because the leaker has an agenda and maybe it's because they want to trade that player. Maybe because they want to drive up the value. Um, maybe it's for misdirection, whatever it may be. There's usually agenda attached. Indeed. Um, good question though. Uh, and, and also, yeah. um, you know, 
the insiders need to gather as much information as they can because they literally have to be on the air for 17 hours on trade deadline day. And uh, and there's going to be two trades because they all happened already. Yeah, get ready for the Derek Grant Derby. Um, Who we got next, (laughs) Ryan? Hi there. Quick question about the Maple Leafs. Um, If you're Kyle Dubas, um, do you try to maybe sell Tyson Berry at the deadline? Uh, given that he's a UFA after the season and he doesn't seem to be able to handle the pressure of playing in Toronto? Um, or is that a, a ludicrous idea for a team that's competing um, to get into the playoffs and might not do so this year? Um, and then just in general, uh, do you think that it would be wise for him to stand pat at the deadline or try to go out and get a big name defenseman, um, given that Morgan Riley might be out until the second or third round, uh, if they even get that far, uh, if they can finally beat the Bruins. Thanks. <laughs> if they can finally beat, that caveat was awesome. Um, I, well, first of all, I, I, I think it would be good for them to add a defenseman. Um, the cap considerations for this team are legion, uh, which makes things a little bit tougher. Uh, I would agree with you on, on Tyson Berry, um, not necessarily having worked out the way you hoped. I mean, he is, has 1.5 goals above replacement right now, according to Evolving Hockey, which is pathetic. Um, so, but if you're gonna move him, you move him in a hockey deal for some, something that could come back the other way that will fill that role as best it can. And I'm not quite sure what that would be. And, and frankly, as a UFA, um, you're kind of looking at, at moving him to a contender potentially, um, which may broaden the field a little bit, but, but also may make things a little bit more complicated for the Leafs because the person that you'd want to bring back might be a vital part of whatever they're doing. So I guess long story short is if you can find a deal with a contender where they've got an offensive defense and who plays the right side that they don't want anymore, <laughs> then make the deal. Here. But if you can't, then hang on to them. Yeah, I think my main thing is this is a team with clear defensive deficiencies. And I understand Tyson Berry has not been perfect and has not been everything they had imagined and hoped he would be. But he's damn better than a lot of the replacements they're looking at, either with the Marlies or elsewhere. Um, so I, I think as this team, it is so important for them to make the playoffs this year. And hey, maybe it's just been an end game where they don't want to get a seed where they matched up against the Bruins or trying to get a, you know, place it, whatever they're trying to do. They just need to get in. Um, and I, I think Barry at this moment gives them the best chance to do it. And Kaplan's pretty low. It's not like he's the one that's weighing this team down right now. Yeah. We'll talk about Morgan Riley in a bit, but, um, yeah, interesting well, we... times for the Leafs for sure. Uh, how many more calls do we have, Ryan? This is the last one. Let's do it. All right. Hi, Greg and Emily. Uh, Caps fan, really frustrated. 11 and 11 since Christmas, basically. So I'm going to go with sending Richard Ponick and Nick Jensen to San Jose for Brendan Dillon huh. and Melker Car- <laughs> Carlson. Hopefully that solves some issues there. And then as far as the Olympics go, why don't we just not stop play? Call up people from the AHL. Get guys experience. Get guys playing in situations that they haven't been able to play with because veterans are taking their spots. What's going to happen if somebody goes to the Olympics and gets hurt anyway? You're going to have to replace them. Why not do it early? Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, obviously, I believe this call made before the 
blockbuster deal between the Capitals and the Sharks that bought. I mean, good foresight by our boy. Second round pick in 2020, conditional third round pick in 2021 uh, to the Sharks for Brendan Dillon. I think you'd have to ante up a bit more to get Melko Carlson out of that deal. All due respect to Richard Panic and Nick Jensen. Um, the Olympic question was interesting. I don't think there's much of an appetite, if at all, for that uh, from either side, to be quite frank. One, when you look at the players, it's not just the Olympians that want to go to the Olympics. The non-Olympians want the Olympians to go to the Olympics because there's nothing they love more than a two-week break in the middle of the season when they get to go to Cancun. It's amazing for everybody. So, like, yes, it would be great for AHL players to get called up. I just don't see the Players Association agreeing to this. Um, and as for owners, I, I think they would see that there would be a dip in revenue and it is a disruption to the season because it's not the actual NHL season. And mm-hmm. it really then becomes, I don't know, I, I just think there's too many complications here. His question was interesting because I don't know if I've ever heard the owners answer that, that question. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm kind of just speaking out of my. No, no, no. You're, 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 you're on point. But I, I just find it intriguing that in all of this talk of like, well, we don't want to shut down our season. Like, I don't know if any of us have ever just kind of, kind of went to them and said, well, don't. Like, keep yeah. playing. And, and what is that response ultimately? If it's that we think our revenues will decrease because our star players aren't there. Well, I mean, how many season tickets have you sold? I mean, th- those, those, that's, that's money already there. Um, are you worried about your walk up? If you're worried about your walk up, well then decrease the ticket prices while the guys are away for the Olympics. Like, make it more accessible. Admit that you're uh, going to see a diminished product, but get more people through the door. Dollar hot dog night. Who cares? Like, I find it intriguing that if the argument is shutting it down our season is disruptive, don't shut down the season. And then it'll probably be, well, letting all of our star players go is disruptive. Competing against the Olympics is disruptive. And then we're right back at square one, which is trying to use it as a CBA bargaining chip, which sucks. Good calls, everybody. Thanks for participating in our reindeer games. Let's get into some of the stuff we didn't really talk about. Tyler Toffoli, Emily, traded from the LA Kings, the Vancouver Canucks, for Tim Schaller, Tyler Madden, the 2020 second rounder, and a conditional uh, 2022 fourth rounder if he resigns with Vancouver. Uh, this trade took on a different dynamic when we realized Brock Besser was going to be out potentially for the rest of the regular season. What did you think about Toffoli to the Canucks? Yeah, I love this trade if the Canucks think that they're making a run for it this year. The Canucks are just trying to get in the playoffs. This is a total overpay for just sneaking into the playoffs and, and then being a one and done. Um, I think he makes their team better, no doubt. Um, I just thought the price was a little too rich to give up a prospect as talented as they did. Um, and for just as much uncertainty as there is in the uh, Pacific Division. And I find it fascinating that Jim Benning is still open to making more trades. He clearly wants toughness in the lineup. It sounds like they're still in on Wayne Simmons and to me, this sounds like a GM who is trying to make moves to save his own job. Mm, indeed. Um, I like Toffoli, though. I think it's a good good pickup for them. And and I also, yeah, I understand he's making moves to save his own job, but I also like the idea of the Canucks trying their best to make the playoffs this year. I know a lot of Canucks fans are like, why mortgage the future for, for today? One, because you get in and who knows what happens. But two, like, it will exponentially help the maturation of guys like, like Patterson and Quinn Hughes to understand the winning culture. Yeah. And, and uh, to a winning culture, but B also understand, you know, how far the pedal gets pushed down in the playoffs and, and understand that dynamic and, and the intensity of a playoff series. Like 
there's a million reasons why just making sure you make the playoffs this season uh, will be beneficial to the Vancouver Canucks beyond the idea that, that Jim Benning could potentially save his job. But I agree with you on that one. It was sort of that little desperation move. Andy Green goes to the only place he'd probably go, the New York Islanders, for David Quenville because the Devils just keep on getting these Quenvilles, not the right one. And uh, 2000, a 2021 second-round pick, which perked up a lot of eyebrows because uh, Andy Green, not exactly uh, a rookie in this league. Andy Green... Uh, was of course signed as a as a uh, undrafted free agent by Lou Lamarillo. He's uh, now 37 years old um, and uh, and playing for the Islanders uh, for this season. He's a UFA this summer. Second rounder for Andy Green, a little rich, but uh, there he is. You know, there's a lot of reasons I like this trade. Andy Green is a stay-at-home defenseman. He's played under Lou Lamarillo, coached teams in the past, or, you know, managed teams in the past. They're not going to ask him to do anything he can't do already. He just further, you know, um, bolsters their identity, and that's a good thing. Um, that said, the price is especially rich when you consider that Andy Green controlled his own destiny. He had a no-movement clause, which meant that management had to come to him as like, Andy, where would you be comfortable going? And Andy goes, well, I'd like for my family to stay in the area and not have to move, so two teams. And they still figured out a way to do it and get a second-round pick. That's incredible GMing by Tom Fitzgerald, who went into this situation not knowing if he had the full-time job. He's an interim GM. And I think right now he's making it really hard for Devils ownership not to hire him for the full-time job because this was masterful and the Blake Coleman was, again, masterful. Yeah, let's talk about the Coleman thing because you, you mentioned you thought it was a, a pretty severe overpayment. I did. Uh, not severe, but I did find it to be an overpayment for, you know, this is a talented team. And I, I get it. They, you know want to win now and they think their window is this year and next year and Nolan Foot might not have fit into that and their first round pick might not have fit into that and Blake Coleman does um just this is a guy that's never scored more than 40 points in his career I understand that he's having a moment and he's a high energy player but like can we look at past performance moving on Dylan DeMello traded from the Ottawa Senators to the Winnipeg Jets for a third round pick didn't move the needle um, for me. Good, good move. Great move. Onward move. I mean, the Jets pick up a really good defenseman from an analytics standpoint yeah. who, who d- plays a good, uh, d- defensive D-man game. The interesting thing here was the outcry from some people in Toronto that are like, why couldn't you trade a third round pick for Dylan DeMello? You're like, well, first of all, cause Ottawa's not looking to help you out. And second of all, you don't even have to have Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, I think it's all about the trading partner here. On the runway. Alec Martinez, the venerable Bob McKenzie, says that discussions were ongoing as we started this podcast uh, between the Vegas Golden Knights and the L.A. Kings um, for the services of uh, Alec Martinez, who has another year on his contract after this one. Um, was told by some King sources that, yeah, he's he's definitely gonzo by this trade deadline. Um, so we can expect to be there to be some Alec Martinez trade. But as these defensemen all start getting dealt, and as we start to see the prices of these defensemen, uh, you start to wonder what the um, what the market is going to end up being. Um, Three for, first for round picks. <laughs> <laughs> um, potential surprises. There's been a lot of scuttlebutt innuendo that Jeff Carter could end up back in Philadelphia, depending on the health of. Nolan I like Patrick. it. Oh, I love yeah, the I, union. Yeah, I think that's the key. Is that you know. 
all season long, Chuck Fletcher has been like, but we're going to get Nolan Patrick back. Nolan Patrick will be like our own trade deadline acquisition. And now we're at the trade deadline. And because it's such a nebulous issue, it's involving his head, it's chronic migraines. We don't quite know. And if he's not coming back, I feel like there needs to be a move to be made because they were all in on getting Aline Vigneault for this group because they felt like they were ready to make the playoffs and needed a season guy to make the playoffs. They want to make the playoffs. Uh, they'll need some guys to do it. And the only thing that I do know from Chuck Fletcher, though, is he keeps saying he wants to make a hockey trade. And he wants guys that still have term. He doesn't want just a one and done. And Jeff Carter's under contract till 2022. Yeah, 5.272727. Uh, 5. Is the cap hit? What psycho did that deal? <laughs> Jeff Carter, <laughs> according to Cap Friendly, uh, good versatile forward can play wing, can play center, and, and obviously is a known quantity to uh, many of the uh, some of the Flyers that are still on this team, and also uh, many uh, of people around Philadelphia. So that'd be a fun one. And the other, the other interesting one, uh, Montreal is a tough nut to crack. Um, I think they could still be a pretty good hockey team as long as they're not playing Detroit. And then you have a lot of, of assets that, uh, in talking to some sources around the league, they're all kind of waiting to see what Montreal becomes. If they could become a seller. Now you're talking Tatar, 4.8 million through 2021. Now you're talking Jeff Petrie, 5.5 million through 2021. Now you're talking the possibility of Max Domi potentially moving, uh, as he is a restricted free agent if somebody wanted to go and, 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 and pay a premium for him. Kovalchuk obviously is is a name that's going to be out there. Although I did talk to somebody uh, this week who said that the connection that Kovalchuk has found with Mark Bergevin in Montreal should be something that he doesn't take for granted. He has been more motivated and has played better uh, in Montreal um, than anyone could have anticipated, and that could be a fit that that he should relish. Um, the only for, thing that Canadians have to think about is, okay, that's a wonderful fit and we love him for $700,000, but he ain't playing for that next year. What's he going to no. ask for this summer and does that fit into our plans? It's an excellent point and also how many years he wants to get it for. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so we'll see what happens there. But yeah, the, the Canadians are the real wild card here. Do you see them becoming movers and shakers and sellers at this deadline or do you think they're going to be uh, delusional? I think they're going to be cautious sellers. And, you know, Tomas Tatar, I don't think they want to move him, but he's got an extra year of term. If someone wants to give the deal that uh, Detroit gave to Vegas two years ago for Tomas Tatar, they've got to take it. Like, that was a ridiculous deal. Um, Jeff Petrie is a guy I don't think they should move. He's only making $5.5 million. He's under contract for next year. Yes, the package for him could be quite good. Um, but who else do they have in that defensive group that can eat those minutes up, especially um, when we don't quite know about the long-term health of Shea Weber? So that's a guy that, in my opinion, they should keep. Mm. There you go. Now that Shea Weber's, you know, he might be, his career might not be over, despite previous. I don't know why they're. I, I understand like they're on the cusp right now of the playoffs, but I don't know why this team hasn't put in the white flag and it's like, look, it's not happening to us for this year. It's just not. Let's figure out the best way to be competitive next year and let's not play Shea Weber and put him in some bubble wrap and send him to Mexico and on a beach. Mm-hmm. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. It's the latest edition of Satch Got Your Number. Hey, Greg and Emily. Have the Maple Leafs and Flames mortgaged their future? The Leafs and Flames are tied for the fewest of their own draft picks remaining. How many of their own picks do they have? For 2020? I'm guessing he means this season. I'll say there's seven rounds. They've got four. 
I'll say they have three. I'll go lower. Yeah, that's probably good. They only have three of their hey. own draft picks left. However, to their credit at least, they've traded for some low rounders to build themselves up, I guess. Sorry about your Leafs, Greg. Mm. Greg? Did your he? Leafs did did he switch from Leafs to Leafs during that segment? I think he might have, but he listen. He did, but wait, are you a Leafs fan? I picked them to win the cup this year, remember? Oh, okay, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, well that was, that was an interesting one. I will say that my, my victory today may break the longest period of time between wins in a podcast game show segment in, uh, podcast history, cause I, I, I yeah, used to lose the these with frequency that. to you. So, big win. For your boy. All right, now it's time for our fav- favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. If you look at the mistakes, the hyperbole, the uh, bad takes, spicy or non-spicy, that pervade the hockey media each week. Got two of them for this week. It's a tie, Emily. Let's We'd go. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the take that we just referenced in talking about Shea Weber, which was uh, Nick Kiprios, uh, who is, uh, I, I believe, still looking for a gig after uh, getting uh, uh, laid off by Sportsnet, uh, taking to Twitter and saying, quote, sources say Shea Weber's injury uh, – Sources say Shea Weber injury has his season likely over and his future in question. Told injury is related to foot that was surgically repaired in 2018 while waiting for swelling to alleviate and further confirmation. Surgery seemed unavoidable going into this week. So uh, his season likely over and his future in question. Um, that was on February 12th. Weber, of course, returned to action this week, uh, less than a week after Kiprios mentioned this. Um, which is kind of embarrassing. So Kiprios took to Instagram to follow up and say, uh, to Shea Weber of the Montreal Canadiens organization, last week I sent out a tweet to further advance the story of Shea's injury. While I was able to properly identify his injured foot, good on you, doctor, and speak of the swelling while at- uh, awaiting further compara- confirmation, it was not my intent to mislead anyone about his immediate future. Uh, about after time to reflect, I understand how portions of my tweet added unnecessary stress to Shay, his family, and the team. While I still stand by the information that I received, I'd like to apologize to Shay and the Canadians for choose, not choosing my words with more sensitivity. So I stand by my reporting that his career might be over. Um, but sorry that I said it in short. The other winner of Phil Kessel of Hot Dogs this week is Steve Simmons, the creator of Phil Kessel of Hot Dogs with his reporting on Phil Kessel, who um, has decided to dance on the grave of a playoff team, which the, La- the Maple Leafs are still, even though they got blown out uh, by Pittsburgh this week. This is a paragraph in Simmons' column. And for all the devout fo- – you know where this is going, folks – for all the devout followers of analytics who laughed with glee when the modern thinking Dubas was named as GM, like two years ago, by the way, ahead of Lou Lamarillo and here comes Mark Hunter. Ask yourself this. 
What exactly did analytics have to do with getting drubbed in Pittsburgh on Tuesday? Martin Marinson was out of position on two power play goals, and Freddie Anderson coughed up one on another. Couple things. Uh, expect every old school media guy in Toronto who lost Mark Connor as a source and his boo-boo face about a child having fired Mike Babcock to do this very thing in the near future. Uh, two. Uh, Martin Marinson is playing on this team on this defense right now um, because uh, Morgan Riley is injured. Uh, Morgan Riley, their top defenseman. Morgan Riley, who is their most important defenseman. Morgan Riley might be one of their most important players uh, overall out of the lineup since uh, early January. That doesn't get mentioned until several paragraphs after we reference the loss of Mark Hunter. And Freddie Anderson coughing up a goal on a power play. Uh, let's see here. I'm checking my math. I've got my abacus out. Here we go. I'm moving things over here. All right. And, uh, oh yeah, has absolutely nothing to do with analytics. And in fact, one might say the Leafs struggles, like every other team in this league that struggles, is completely tied to the fact that their goaltending has been hot garbage for a month. Which has nothing to do with analytics. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Uh, Dateline Air Force Academy. <laughs> the assistant AD of Air Force Academy, Emily, threw some shade at fans whom he didn't believe left early enough for the stadium series game on Saturday night. If you, if you read our coverage of it, fans were still entering the stadium in the second intermission having just gotten to the stadium because of parking and, and traffic problems, um, basically he said that they should have left earlier. I, I talked to people that left for what should be a one-hour trip um, and budgeted three hours, and then it took like four and a half hours. Uh, so it was a mess. The other part of this, Emily, that's kind of disturbing is there was a fatality that that affected the ability of people to leave the stadium. They had There's only two gates into Air Force Academy. One of them was shut down. Uh, Adam Pruitt, 31, uh, died when he fell off a uh, bridge at 11 p.m. just west of the Academy's North Gate. It's, I saw the police investigation as I left the game, actually, around midnight. Um, no details on the death, but if you are not affiliated with Air Force Academy and you were walking around this campus at this time and you were leaving through the North Gate on foot, I mean, I'm, this is complete speculation, but I'm guessing this is somebody who maybe walked to the game and left their car someplace else potentially. So we'll see how this whole thing shakes out. Um, but that was definitely not just my speculation when we heard about this unfortunate fatality and condolences to Adam's family, uh, for this loss. But, uh, just an, an ugly situation all around, uh, this game, which otherwise was, was actually a pretty good event. Yeah. Um, Every city thinks of itself as the worst traffic city in America, and I had no idea it was Colorado Springs. It actually was number one. <laughs> um, but <laughs> no, it, it does seem like there was some poor planning here, and they didn't just account for as managed traffic or the flow of traffic or whatever it may be. And I hate that it dampened it because the optics of the game look cool. Were it? Like, you were there. Yeah. Was it it a, was, the optics good were good, and series? obviously it, it, the third period of the game was a lot of fun because it was a tight game. Um, and as much as I shaded the whole sitting all of the Air Force cadets behind the goal, 
um, where you mm-hmm. gave them potentially the worst seats you could possibly give anybody at these stadium series games where they can't see a damn thing. Um, it was really cool because the players walked through them to get to the rink and the players were telling me that when you're in a stadium series game or, or, or a winter classic, you feel so separated from the fans because of where the rink is and where the stands are that to, to go down that aisle and high five the cadets and stuff was really cool. Uh, on top of obviously the, the, uh, the respect that they all have for, for those who serve. So that was a pretty cool aspect of it. It just sucks that all this stuff, and I'm sorry, like don't shade the people that left at three o'clock for a, a six o'clock puck drop, you know, it, 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 fix your traffic mess. Dateline Raleigh. I think you and I are going to have to have a knife fight to see who gets to cover this one. The Stadium Series <laughs> is coming to North Carolina, baby. NC State will host the Stadium Series game uh, next season. The Carolina Hurricanes against what we expect to be the Pittsburgh Penguins at NC State. Is that what it is now? It's the Pens? Well, uh, the, the, the Capitals denied that they're the team. And the heavy speculation is that because of the regionality of the Penguins fan base, and the Penguins do bring more than a few fans to those Carolina uh, Hurricanes home games, um, that it could be the Penguins, on top of the uh, Jim Rutherford connection uh, between the Hurricanes and the Penguins as well. Let's just see how many old Hartford Whalers we can get at this game. Um, Ron Francis will somehow be involved, I promise you. You know, I think it's cool, and I also wonder if the Caps are not involved because they're lining up. It's probably not going to be this year, but next year for um, a European game uh, in Russia which I think will happen. I don't think it's happening this fall, but maybe the next fall after that. But yeah, kudos to the Raleigh. Um, you know, I know that they campaigned hard for this with the city. I think it'll be awesome. The tailgating scene is going to be ridiculous and they won't have to worry about quite as much traffic issues because am I mistaken that the NC State football stadium is right in the parking lot of PNC Arena? So it's not anywhere different than they're used to directing traffic, just more people. Um, that sounds right. When you say European game in Russia, do you mean outdoor game or do you mean just a game? No, the European series, whatever they call it, global series. Oh, man, because I was thinking. I'm still waiting for them to pull an outdoor game out of their pocket for one of these European markets. Yeah, let's go Red Square, where Putin plays. Or, <laughs> I think, first of all, I think Putin plays wherever, he want, wherever Putin wants to play. Uh, secondly, he does, but I, he likes to play in, Putin, in Red Square. Stick the Oilers in that outdoor stadium in Germany for Dreisaitl. They they packed that place for an outdoor game. It'd be amazing. Um, Dateline Buffalo. Scale of 1 to 10. Uh, how screwed is uh, paper-throwing Buffalo Sabres general manager Jason Botterill? Um, boy, the hits just keep on coming. We didn't mention it earlier because we wanted to mention it here. The uh, Montreal Canadiens traded Marco Scandella to the St. Louis Blues as Jay Bowmeister's replacement and pulled a second-round pick for him. So to review... Jason Botterill, in a package to the Minnesota Wild, traded a third-round pick for Scandella. He traded Scandella to the Canadiens for a fourth-round pick. The Canadiens then traded Scandella for a second-round pick. Also, the reason that um, Scandella was traded from the Buffalo Sabres to the Montreal Canadiens um, was so that Jason Botterill could clear some space to trade for... Um, Michael Froelich, who has a negative 3.2 goals scored above average and has been hot garbage for Buffalo. So, yeah, I I would give him a one. Uh, he's in super trouble in Buffalo. 
Yeah, we've alluded to this. I think there are some off-season changes, especially as it comes to the management structure in Buffalo. Honestly, what would not surprise me at this point is if in the next two years we see Ralph Kruger on the management side of things instead of coaching side of things. Maybe both. Um, love it. But that's a name that I would keep an eye out for, and I would keep an eye out for them potentially. You know, I know they've denied it, but hiring somebody in between the GM uh, and the ownership, and you know, maybe there's someone already in the organization that um, ownership trusts that they have in mind. Who's to I say? floated this idea in Puck Soup, and I'm in love with it now. But uh, Chris Drury and Danny Briere, co-GMs, come back, save the day in Buffalo, be the greatest. That'd be amazing. I don't think there's any way that the Rangers are letting Chris Drury go. I think they would nope. fire. Do you, do you think that the Rangers would fire Jeff Gorton in a second if they found out that Drury is going to get hired by someone else? Like, we'll take you, Drury. Oh, I think they like Gorton a lot. I don't know. That's a good question. But yeah, Drury is someone that they're they're going to hold on to as long as they can. Uh, Dateline the Hart Trophy. Leon Dreisaitl now has a 13-point lead in the Art Ross race, having uh, gone on a, goal, a point-scoring binge with Connor McDavid out of the lineup. Emily, does this cement Dreisaitl as the Hart Trophy favorite now that he's doing that Hart Trophy thing of scoring points even with the other guy out of the lineup? I think so. He's right around the same pace that Nikita Kucherov was on last year. And I just saw the stat. If he has five points in his next two games, he's going to be the first player to reach 100 points in 61 games or fewer since Mario Lemieux in 1996-97, which, as we know, was a little bit of a different time in terms of the way guys were scoring points. So, um, yeah, I think he's got to be the favorite now. But uh, Nathan McKinnon's knock on his door. is like, hey, man, I've got nobody to play with, and I might drag this team into the playoffs myself. Yeah, McKinnon, McKinnon still is the guy. I mean, God, he is, he is nearly 40 points clear of the next highest score on Colorado. He's been incredible. Um, and it's only going to cement itself if they don't get any scoring help and Mika yeah. Rodden's out the rest of the year. And no shade to Drysaddle. I, I had people telling me Drysaddle was, was a better heart choice than McDavid like months ago based on, I mean, and people around the Oilers were telling me how important that, that he was to that team. Um, I think based on glamour stats, I think if he wins the Art Ross and and continues to do what he does with McDavid out of the lineup, he'll probably win it just because we know how, what I think of our voter our voting brothers and sisters. Um, but but McKinnon's a real good pick, and if heck Matthews might be a good pick too, the way things are going with the Leafs. Um, Dateline McMillions. You got HBO? You watch McMillions? I haven't seen it yet, but I heard it's good. It's good. It's so, I wanted to just put this out there in the world because sometimes people like to hear what, what Emily and I are into pop culture wise. McMillions is a documentary on HBO. They're actually doling it out, uh, one episode a week, um, about the giant scandal. How old school. Yeah, I know, right? It's kind of annoying, but also kind of good. Uh, the, the giant scandal in which, um, game pieces for the McDonald's Monopoly game were somehow stolen and then uh, given to a bunch of people who all sort of knew each other that the FBI eventually found out where they scammed McDonald's out of millions of dollars. Somehow the mafia gets involved. Uh, somehow a bunch of other things get involved. It involves FBI sting operations. You get to actually see the recordings of the people back in the day being tricked into giving basically depositions because they think that they're on some McDonald's like infomercial. It's all fascinating. And really well done. So if you're looking for a good doc, the first, uh, I think, three episodes are available um, wherever you watch your HBO stuff. Uh, McMillions is a good choice. It's really good. Um, we have a rant line, right, R- Ryan, you said? Hi, Greg and Emily. Uh, 
I cannot stand these terrible deadline shows. They're horrendous. No one wants to stare at James Duffy or Jeff Merrick, nice as looking as they are, for eight hours while they twiddle their thumbs and do nothing. The only interesting thing that's ever even happened on one of those shows is when Greg was on Sportsnet and had to change his doo-doo pants. All right. <laughs> bye. All right. Explain, Greg, I'll let you answer that one. To explain that reference, okay, uh, I didn't poo my pants. Uh, I was wearing brown pants that were referred to on social media as diarrhea pants because of their color. And uh, Sportsnet was nice enough to give me a different pair of pants to wear on the air. Uh, so that is where doo-doo pants comes from. The correct, the correct uh, nomenclature is diarrhea pants, for the record. No, I, I think it's one of those double-edged swords, right? Like, we want hockey to get more coverage. Um, this is hockey coverage, and even if something doesn't happen, it's an excuse for these networks to have a couple hours dedicated to hockey, which I understand they do more often than our network does, but um, I don't know. It's fine. I guess I don't have many thoughts. I, I think it's also important to remember that they, they do tend to kind of keep the focus on hockey for the majority of that show. I think if Emily and I were tasked with doing 12 hours of coverage on a day when nothing happens, um, then it would sound very much like it does in Bristol, where Emily and I will be on Monday for the trade deadline, where it becomes discussions about, you know, the funniest named New Jersey cities and uh, the quality of pizza toppings at the place in West Hartford we go to, it, it's a very good chance that it would look a lot different than what it looks like on Canadian television, which may be better. But uh, to those who are, are struggling uh, with the Canadian uh, Canadian trade deadline shows, I still give them credit for keeping their eye on the prize as best they can, even if it eventually devolves into Leafs talk. And well, they get Justin Trudeau to call in. It's important. It's big national stuff. Yeah. All right, that's a, a fun and exciting, uh, differently formatted ESPN on Ice for this week. Thanks to everybody who called. I thank you individually, but Emily, I noticed that I would say uh, most of the calls didn't involve anybody's name for some reason. I don't know why that was the case. No, they did. I remember some names. There was a Dan. Was it a Dan or a Don? Mm. Now I'm making you doubt Sorry, yourself. Dan Don. They just said that. I thought it was going to be more like WFAM where they're like, you know, you know, you know. Hey everybody, it's me, Don from Flushing. Focus. Ryan says it's Don. So look, you don't even mm. know what their names are. <laughs> All right. Anyways, well, listen. on that note, uh, Monday trade deadline. Emily and I will be in Bristol for video stuff and also a post deadline podcast. It'll be for your listening pleasure as soon as the uh, Trevor Daly and Derek Grant trades are made. Um, should be super exciting. And then, um, yeah, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy it, like and subscribe on them iTunes. Helps people find the show. Numbers have been great lately. A lot of people checked out the Willie O'Ree episode we recently did, so thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, oh, read my piece on hockey hotbeds in the U.S. Um, most of Adina did. Well, so why don't you? I'm Emily Kaplan. Find my stuff on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan, and we'll see you all Monday. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.